and welcome to ICI Digs Deep, sponsored by Ritchie Brothers Auctioneers, Inc. In this two-part episode, Richard Hedgecock talks to Build Indiana Council lobbyists Dennis Falkenberg and Lori Maudlin of Appian and Steve Fisher of Fisher Consulting about the upcoming election and what the potential results could mean for our industry. This episode focuses specifically on national elections. For Indiana elections, check out the other episode that aired today. So one of the reasons why everyone talks about us having such a divided country right now is because we have House and Senate balances that are all within two and three votes of one another. Every two years, they all think that they can take back power from the other. So here we are again, and we're looking at a very contested election across the country. What do we think is going to happen with the House and the Senate on the federal level, and who's going to maintain or who's going to take each chamber? Steve, you want to start us? Sure. I don't think there's a chance in in all heck of the Democrats losing control of the House. And most of the polls are showing that, and most of the political analysts are of the view that the Democrats will hold on to the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi will remain speaker. She's announced that she'll step down at the end of 2022, but that's not next year. And so I really don't see a lot of change in control of the House next year in in the next Congress. The real drama is in the Senate. And the Senate, uh, again, for podcast listeners, there are 100 U.S. senators. Uh, The Republicans control 53 of those senators and thus are in control of the Senate. The Democrats have to win four more seats to take over the Senate. If it's tied, the vice president would be the the tiebreaker. But to take over control of the Senate, the Democrats really need to pick up four seats. And there are about six to eight elections around the country that are teetering, as you say, on the edge. Because picking four or five seats, that's a, that's a pretty big net swing. Yes, I agree. Picking up four seats in the Senate is a lot of work. It's a big change. It sounds like not much, but it's actually a big deal. Right. So I think they have a tough road to climb up, but it's possible. Now, there's races in Colorado, Maine, North Carolina, Arizona, Iowa, and Montana that are close and so close that they're hard to call at this point. That's a lot of races to be close. Surrounding both the pandemic and the presidential election can blow the political winds one way or another and tip any of those races one way or another. And so it's really hard to call at this point. And even though we're not that far out from the election, what, six weeks or so, a lot can happen in that time. And so it's conceivable that the Democrats could take over the Senate. And I I think to a large degree, it'll rely on what happens at the presidential election and how that spills over into those Senate races. I would agree with that um, in the House, clearly agree there. And in fact, I would say Democrats will probably pick up a few seats there. In the Senate, I would add to your contested races at least one more, Sonny Perdue in Georgia is surprisingly close in deep red Georgia. What may pop the Democrats' balloon is they've got a seat to defend in Alabama, which I just don't think they have a chance. So they're going to have to gain an extra seat to make up probably going to lose. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a nail biter. But if you look back at tidal wave elections, 
that have occurred in the past, there is a sweeping change uh, among senators sometimes have occurred that if this turns out to be one of those, a route in the presidential election, don't be surprised to that follow suit with uh, the Senate. I mean, I can see this, uh, the Ginsburg thing, where Republicans could win the battle by getting the seat and placing their person and then lose the war by spending that political capital there and energizing the Democrat base. That's my latest theory over the weekend. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't bet against it. So that might be a good segue. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about the big one, right? Yeah, put on your pundit hat. Here we go. This is the most fascinating time of my, what, 35 years in politics, and Dennis is longer <laughs> than me. But uh, I occasionally will meet with students. I'm a Ball State alum, and I occasionally meet with students who are out here in Washington. And I tell the, particularly if they're political science students, this is the most fascinating time in politics, and they should not be taking any of this for granted. It's it, We are seeing the Constitution tested uh, in ways that's seldom been tested before. And for a political science junkie, this is just uh, five-hour energy every hour. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, the president was doing fairly well earlier uh, this year, and really the pandemic has changed this race. Of course, to state the obvious, polls are showing Vice President Biden as ahead in many key battleground states and overall nationally. But as you point out, Richard, the uh, Supreme Court nomination, which has yet to be made, but that battle over the Supreme Court will introduce new dynamics. The Fall and winter will introduce new dynamics as the pandemic enters a new season and a lot of medical people expect infection rates to go up and that will probably be joined by potentially further economic closure. So people tend to vote their pocketbooks, they tend to vote how they're doing economically. And so if in fact the economic situation turns more grim in the coming month, should the pandemic expand, that will influence voters as well. And then there's the additional overlay of some of the racial and social justice protests that are going on around the country. And we saw the uh, protests yesterday uh, from the Breonna Taylor uh, decision by Kentucky officials not to prosecute the uh, police officers who uh, shot Breonna Taylor. Those protests have a dynamic as well. And so all these things are layering on top of each other and influencing the election. My own personal view, just to throw it out there and just sort of juice the debate a little bit with my colleagues, I don't think the Supreme Court fight nor the racial just and social justice issues are going to change the dynamics that much. And the reason I say that is because I believe those are issues that the base of both parties care passionately about. And the base of both parties, we know where they stand. And so it's those folks in the middle that will swing this election either to Biden or Trump. And they don't tend to be people that are out protesting in the streets. And they don't tend to be people who are particularly focused on the Supreme Court and those issues, because those tend to be very politically charged social issues. So I kind of think this is really about the pandemic and whether or not People are feeling impacted by it, either themselves, their family, or their friends being impacted from a health perspective, or that they're being impacted economically by the pandemic. And so clearly the numbers show that our national leadership and perhaps some of our state leadership, depending on the state, probably not done a great job with 200,000 Americans dead. 
So the public will judge that come election day and they will respond accordingly. So I have a feeling that issue will be the driving issue that'll probably determine the election at the end of the day. There are a number of swing states and you know any any of us who follow this know Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Florida of course, a key state, Georgia, North Carolina and even Texas is now they're pretty close. So these will be critical states for both candidates. And again, I personally am of the view that the pandemic is probably going to be the biggest driver. But let me defer to my colleagues and ask them for their opinions. I would agree that the pandemic is going to be the big issue. MSNBC has started talking more about COVID than the Supreme Court, I think. Uh, They're trying to drive that home to their base that, hey, remember, 201,000 Americans have died. And Steve, you say probably that's what we're going to be thinking about. I think everybody I know has been affected by it in some way. My wife is off for a COVID test today. She'd been in bed for three days and her doc finally said, come get a test. It's close to all of us. A family wedding is in doubt now of ours, and the whole family is talking about what do we do? Do we go? Don't we go? Isn't it awful that we can't go? Those kind of decisions are being made around kitchen tables all over America. A server in a restaurant I frequent inquired about the sign. They've been closed for a long time and inquired on Monday about our server. Is she okay? Is there anything we can do? And and of the three servers we had, they said two of them have had COVID and they no longer work anywhere. So it it's, you know, they're they're really two different Americas right now. The President Trump talks about the stock markets doing great. And those folks, it's good. And then there are those who are standing in food bank lines that have never thought of doing such a thing. That's going to drive some turnout that we've not seen before. I mean, that's obviously the bottom line on all of it, right? It's turnout because, yes, Steve, every time it's the economy stupid. We get that. Here's where I'm going to really geek out. So when Obama won, he had huge turnout numbers. And we know in retrospect, it wasn't young people. So you have to presume that that's minorities and or college educate. I don't People were sick of bushes. I don't know. So what makes those people turn out this time, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know. They need to. We have all this mail-in voting going on. They don't need to show up. The Democratic Party is certainly, you know, talking to their voters about voting by mail. It certainly probably talks about on the evening news every day, quite frankly. Yeah. Of course, how that goes is something the president's been talking about. He sees it as a threat and he sees it as probably a a way to leverage the outcome of the election, which I hope we get to talk about because there's a whole fascinating aspect to how post-election goes. I don't know that people need to worry about showing up to vote. I think a lot of Americans, because of COVID, are making plans to vote by mail to save themselves the, uh, not only the hassle, but the potential to expose themselves uh, to the pandemic. But they do have to register. And I did see a really interesting statistic that the three swing states for Trump four years ago, their registrations are up 6%. But Democrat registrations are actually down 38%. So yeah, some people are registering, but it's the people who are really energized. And if that's true, sort of nationwide, we're looking at the Trump base is extremely energized and, and registering to vote. Although, you know, to me, it's kind of surprising that there would be that many more to register. They seem to all turn out in 2016. Right. 
Another thing that's interesting that I saw was just a generic poll Republican Democrat. And, you know, Biden was up by 12 points. And more recently, he's only up by six points. So I think you're right, Steve. In fact, you just go back for a second to what you're saying about the general public. There's such a fatigue about all of this, about this year, about this election and everything. I don't know that anybody's watching any of this. They're going to decide so much more closer to the election day. I was listening to a New York Times podcast the other day, and they went out into the country, uh, left the East Coast, and they went out into the country and interviewed a bunch of sort of common, regular people. And it was astounding to me because we're such political junkies and we're paying attention to this every hour of every day. Come on, most Americans are not paying attention to any of this. They're living their lives as they should. And, you know, they'll focus on this, you know, a day or two before it's time to vote, if they vote. But it was interesting to hear these interviews because person after person they interviewed just revealed that they are not following this step by step and all the blow by blow and play by play and all the drama. And they're not. And even though the rest of us who are political junkies are just, you know, frothing at the mouth at every new development, the regular people in America aren't paying attention to that level. And again, I'm not saying they should. They're worrying about their lives as they should and their families as they should. So I think you're right, Lori, that regular people are going to focus on this at the last minute and kind of uh, they're probably numbed all the debate and fighting and all that sort of thing. And so it'll be interesting to see how the decision goes. Ritchie Brothers is a global asset management and disposition company offering customers end-to-end solutions for buying and selling used heavy equipment, trucks, and other assets. They help people around the world appraise, sell, inspect, buy, refurbish, ship, and finance heavy equipment, trucks, and other assets, as well as offer on-site and online selling platforms. To learn more, give them a call at 815-941-6400. Steve, you talked about the turnout and everybody going to be voting by mail. I wonder on that issue, and me personally even, I wonder how much we trust that system and not necessarily the voter fraud aspect of it, but just the reliability. I have personally requested an absentee ballot. It was three weeks ago and I've heard nothing. I wonder, should I do it again? Am I going to get a fraudulent double banner? (laughs) I'm very law abiding, so I don't want to ask for it again. Yeah. As an example, in the spring, when we were in the, the beginning of you know, total shutdown, in our primary, I had asked for an absentee ballot. In Indiana, you have to ask for a specific party. They sent me the opposite party that I asked for. And I have documentation of that. And I could never get anyone on the phone. They were so busy to correct that with me that I put a mask on and I went in on election day and I voted. And I'm, I'm a dedicated voter. But how many people are? How many people are going to say, well, the mail will lose it anyway. I heard on the news, they're not going to get them there in time. So I'm not going to bother. I'm worried about my kitchen table issues. Yeah. You know, studies show that infinitesimal fraud related to mail-in voting. But sort of bureaucratic incompetence as far as uh, getting the the forms out to people and so on. I hear you. My mom lives in uh, suburban Chicago in Illinois. She now has been sent three applications for an absentee ballot. (laughs) She's afraid if she 
does she send one in or, or are they, does she need to send all three to get one? <laughs> or will she activate three separate, you know, voting opportunities that she doesn't want to, you know, she's not trying to cheat, but she also called them and could not get a human being on the phone and she doesn't know what to do. And so, and she's 89 years old uh, and she's sure the heck not going to go show up in person on election day. So uh, I hear you. You know, each state has their act together with regard to voting differently and some better than others, some better funded than others. You know, this might be a a time to segue into what this situation is creating. Uh, The White House, of course, is using this to suggest, and the president's been very overt about this. He's not beating around the bushes. And he's come out and said very overtly that he believes all these mail-in ballots are going to result in fraud and that the election should be called election night. They should not wait days to let all the mail-in ballots trickle in and that he believes that a lot of these ballots will be fraudulent, whether they're Americans fraudulent or Russians fraudulent (laughs) or or what have you. But he is laying that case out even now, drawing into question the legitimacy of the election count or the vote count once it's completed in each state. And I would urge every podcast listener to take a look at the November issue of the Atlantic Magazine, who just released a fascinating, fascinating story that describes all the scenarios of potential efforts to discount the actual vote and find alternative ways to win the presidency. And it's fascinating because the Constitution and the law allows for alternative ways for the president to be chosen if, for some reason, the popular vote is in question. Well, and you mentioned the call to count votes that night, but at least two states have publicly said, as long as it's postmarked by Election Day, they're allowing six days and nine days after to get them. So, you know, how does that reconcile together? Well, keep in mind, the president and the White House don't run the election. Each state runs the election. So this will be decided state by state. But if president has won the vote as of election night, and he senses that it can only do worse as the days pass. He will call for uh, the vote to be finalized <laughs> election night. And that doesn't mean the states will stop. It just means he'll call for it. If he then loses states that he appeared to be winning election night, he will most likely accuse the state of having a fraudulent voting situation. What he can do is then if that state has a Republican legislature, he can ask the legislature to decide the vote. And the electors, and I'll remind all listeners that the popular vote doesn't elect presidents. The popular vote indicates the popular vote. Uh, The electors from each state decide the president. Each state has individuals known as electors that will convene and cast their votes for president, and they typically follow the popular vote in that state. However, the electors can be decided any way the state legislature chooses in each state. And so if a uh, legislature is controlled by Republicans and the president is alleging that the popular vote was fraudulent in a certain state, the president could turn to the legislature to name electors themselves, electors who are inclined to vote for President Trump and not necessarily inclined to go with whatever the popular vote was. So, for example, if Biden won the popular vote in a particular state, but if that state has a Republican-run and controlled legislature, the president could appeal to that legislature to step in and name electors for that state who will, in fact, follow what the Republicans want to do instead of what the popular vote directed them to do. That is a scenario that is legal, 
and it's possible. And it's a scenario that people are, are out there are worried about right now. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm not meaning to uh, badmouth or in any way uh, cast a negative light on the White House. They're actually making noise in this regard. Uh, the president has publicly stated that he will not necessarily respect the outcome of the vote. Uh, and he said that publicly a couple of days ago. So this isn't uh, make-believe. This is kind of slowly falling into place. There's another whole scenario that plays out where you could have competing electors sent to Washington to vote for the president from each state. For example, in the scenario I just described, you could have Republicans choosing electors from the legislature. The thing is, the governor has to endorse the electors as well. And so if you have a Republican legislature in a particular state with a Democratic governor, you could get the governor endorsing the electors that the popular vote decided. And then you could get the legislature endorsing other electors. And you could have competing electors showing up in Washington to vote for the president. In that situation, it then falls to the Congress to decide if, in fact, there's a situation where uh, the electors can't decide. It then goes to the House of Representatives, but it isn't by a vote of all 435 members of the House. Each state has one vote in the House. And so whoever dominates, Republican or Democrat, dominates that state's delegation in the House of Representatives will cast the vote a Republican or Democrat for president. Right now, 26 of the 50 states are, the delegations in the House are, are dominated by Republicans. But after the election, it may be different. Of course, those, uh, yeah, no, those people will be seated and this elector counting occurs in January after the Congress is seated. So it would be the new Congress deciding. Well, think about, in particular, I always think about Indiana and how this would affect us. And I think about our Pence relationship in particular. And while we'll never vote for Biden, I'm sure, imagine if we did under those scenarios you're talking about and the pressure from Vice President Pence to our state to find flaws in the voting. I mean, I just cannot even imagine that. Just that dynamic for us. It makes us it makes me glad. I don't think we're going to be in that position. So, you know, these are days where Things are being redefined. I agree with you. It would be extraordinary for a state legislature to deny the popular vote of their own state and step in and decide to send other electors to Washington to vote for a candidate other than what the popular vote of that state went for. Now, as I say that, I'm acknowledging that these are strange times <laughs> and extraordinary things are happening that, you know, years ago we would have been aghast at. People are making up rules and remaking rules and not paying attention to historical precedent. And it doesn't wouldn't surprise me in the least bit for something like that to happen. Well, what's flawed here, and of course, Congress and the federal government needs to clean up all, all these things later, but uh, there's nothing requiring the electors to follow the popular vote. It is not law. It is practice. Now, I think it's a political liability if they don't, as Lori just pointed out, but that's what the law does. Wasn't there a recent Supreme Court decision about that, that a state could punish electors who did not vote the way their popular vote came out? But if the state legislature chose other electors. Right. Yeah, that's a different matter. But if the electors that were chosen went to Washington and voted a different way, they could be right. punished. So here's the only thing that listeners can do now. Make sure you're registered. Lori, what's the deadline for getting registered? October 5, yeah. Register. Make sure you're registered. Secondly, have a plan. Don't just say, I'm registered and I'm going to vote. Have a plan. Steve talked about the story of his mom in the primary. I asked for an absentee ballot. And yet, even though I had an absentee ballot when early voting opened, 
I walked myself down to the office building, the county office building, and voted early. And it worked to a T because I had a plan. So have a plan. That, that's all you can tell you to do. If you're going to wait till election day, because by God, that's what you've always done, then do it. <laughs> but tell your employer, because you're going to be in line a long yeah. time. All we can do is encourage you listeners to vote. As Steve said, and Dennis said, Lori said, we've all been around this government stuff for most of our careers. And I know you always hear, this is the most important election we've ever, and you think, they say that every time. I really can't recall one more contentious and, dare I say, important than this one. So make a plan and vote. All I can say, my last thought, you know, my closing remark or whatever is, we don't need Russian interference because we've got it all down ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Thank you again to our guests, Steve Fisher, Lori Maudlin, Dennis Falkenberg, and Richard Hedgecock, as well as our sponsor, Ritchie Brothers Auctioneers, Inc. To get in contact with Ritchie Brothers, give them a call at 815-941-6400. If you want to hear what our guests think about the Indiana elections, listen to the other ICI Digs Deep episode that aired today. Join us every Friday during your morning commute to hear safety talks, member spotlights, and inside information about the infrastructure and transportation construction industry. This has been ICI Digs Deep. Let's break ground together.